Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hey, thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Four Texans have been named the Cattlemen's Beef Board. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. Raising a worthwhile corn crop in the increasingly water-deprived Texas High Plains is not easy. However, coming up on Texas Ag Today, I'll talk about a couple things that are helping farmers continue to make a go of it. I'm James Hunt. Reflections on the gardening and landscaping industries in 2020. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. 28 people, including four Texans, have been appointed to the Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board, more commonly called the Cattlemen's Beef Board. The Texans appointed to the board are April Bonds of Fort Worth, J. Ryan Morehouse of Amarillo, Mark Brent Sestere of Winsboro, and Michael White of Vernon. All four will serve three-year terms on the board starting in February. The CBB has 99 members, including domestic beef, dairy and veal producers, as well as importers of beef and veal products. The board oversees the beef checkoff. Registration is underway for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Services Connecting Agriculture and Health Conference. It will be held January 5th in Waco. Details at today.agrilife.org. Earlier this year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced the first significant purchase for its foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. This month, the purchase worth $27 million was delivered. The establishment of a robust FMD vaccine bank has been a top long-term priority for the National Pork Producers Council, which was instrumental in advocating for its establishment as part of the 2018 Farm Bill. Currently, USDA, which has a prescribed vaccination for dealing with an FMD outbreak, does not have access to enough vaccine should an outbreak occur. FMD is an infectious viral disease that affects cloven-hooved animals, including cattle and pigs and sheep. It is not a food safety or human health threat. The Environmental Protection Agency is now accepting comments on proposed changes to the registration and regulation of chlorpyrifrose. Chlorpyrifrose is a broad-spectrum insecticide and miticide used to control insects and mites. It is used on fruit and vegetable crops, tree nuts, sorghum, wheat, cotton, nursery and landscape ornamentals, Christmas trees, and roach bait stations. EPA's proposal includes label amendments limiting applications, application restrictions, and spray drift mitigation measures. 
Comments are being accepted through February 5th on regulations.gov. The Northeast Panhandle Crop Profitability Conference will be held online January 7th. For more, visit today.agrilife.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Continuing to grow corn in a region where irrigation capacity is diminishing is a challenge. James Hunt reports on how some Texas High Plains farmers are responding. As our primary water source, the Ogallala Aquifer, continues to decline, for many area farmers, limited irrigation is becoming a fact of life. But for those who want to continue planting corn, one encouraging development is an increased demand for silage due to the expansion of the region's dairy industry in recent years. David Gibson of Texas Corn Producers points out silage production offers the benefit of a shorter season. It generally cuts off one to two waterings, maybe off of the corn that would be carried to grain, so there's an advantage there and some water savings. Something else we're seeing a little more of, non-irrigated corn production, which, as Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell notes, has historically been considered impractical for this region where rain is not abundant. What is surprising, even this year, as hard as it was, there are a few producers who were successful with dryland corn. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Commodity Classic was held here in San Antonio earlier this year, and the event was supposed to come back to Texas for 2021. But with COVID-19, that's not going to happen. Like a lot of other agricultural events, the Commodity Classic will be going virtual in 2021. Event organizers are planning several events for the online edition of the Commodity Classic, including educational sessions, the top thought leaders in agriculture, new technology and innovation, online networking opportunities, and much more. The 2022 edition of the Commodity Classic will be held in New Orleans, Louisiana. 2020 has been a challenging and difficult year for the gardening and horticulture industry here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti talks with a San Angelo horticulturalist about the changes the industry faced this year. My guest today is horticulturist John Begno from San Angelo. John, today we're going to take a look back over the last 12 months of 2020. It certainly has been a very challenging and difficult year for everyone with the coronavirus pandemic. From a horticultural perspective, John, how has uh, the pandemic impacted the landscaping and gardening industries in Texas? And, you know, Tom, we refer to the, the whole grouping of that uh, industry as the green industry. Many of us do, and it includes gardening and fruits and nuts and and all types of uh, landscaping, and, and we lump those together. And, and it was started out as a normal year, and then as we became homebound, most of us uh, are sequestered in the demand for projects, outdoor projects that included landscaping, vegetable gardens to grow your own fruits and vegetables and trees and things like that by leaps and bounds grew in many nurseries. uh, I have a daughter who manages a couple for Callaway's Nurseries in Dallas area and and their budgets or their their income was, uh, their annual income was average was met by July, August, or September because of the demand. And of course, they didn't turn people away who were masked and protected. But the new green industry, as it has expanded just over the last year, is is a phenomenal start to possibly 2021. Yes. And so uh, with that change this year, 
people are looking towards uh, the new year uh, in just uh, a few short days as uh, we approach 2021. Uh, what do you anticipate as uh, changes uh, in uh, that calendar year uh, as they come off of this uh, very unusual year of 2020? Well, what we think is probably going to happen, and it stands to reason, it happened during World War II with Victory Gardens that followed and so forth, that when people have a, a change in lifestyle, it, it carries over for a long time. Just think of the young people, the children who have been involved in landscaping and gardening and growing their own uh, eating vegetables and fruits and nuts. It's, it's going to carry over. So we see the demand for plant materials continue. We also notice that people have become much more educated. First-time gardeners have gotten online and used resources and become very good at producing food, and many of them enjoyed that. And then a kind of a sidebar is those people that have been working from home or staying at home for school or whatever sometimes are using new outdoor spaces as their learning environment or their work environment for Zoom and other media sources. And so, so we're, we're seeing an upgrade in the private area of the landscape where you can stay sequestered and it looks nice and it's functional uh, and sometimes it's very productive. All right. That uh, reflection and look ahead from San Angelo horticulturist John Begno. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The American Farm Bureau Federation continues to stand up for farmers against the Dallas-based company Dean Foods. Chad Smith reports from Washington. Hundreds of U.S. dairy farmers were targeted by lawyers representing Dean Foods in its bankruptcy proceedings. Travis Cushman is the senior counsel for public policy with the American Farm Bureau. He said the trouble for many dairy farmers began during Thanksgiving. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, Dean Foods Estate sent out hundreds of letters to dairy producers across the country demanding that they repay three months worth of milk payments they would have received in these three months prior to when the company went bankrupt, which was in November of 2019. And the these letters demanded that the farmers repay the money by Christmas Eve or else essentially we'll see you in court. Cushman says the American Farm Bureau immediately sent a letter responding to what it called a predatory shakedown. We found these letters to be highly misleading and essentially a predatory shakedown written in legal language. We wrote them our own letter and have been explaining to them why we felt these letters were inappropriate, notably because we believe most, if not all, farmers have a complete defense to these claims. Most farmers shouldn't have to pay anything. Cushman says the right form for farmers to sign is available through their local Farm Bureau offices. The Pennsylvania Attorney General and the Pennsylvania Milk Marketing Board had already worked with Dean Foods to create a one-page form that can be filled out to claim this exemption rather than going through a complicated process that was otherwise required in these letters. We have just now confirmed with Dean Foods lawyers that this form can be used anywhere, not just in Pennsylvania, which should provide a much easier solution for folks that are grappling with these letters. Chad Smith, Washington. Texas boaters are being reminded to clean, drain, and dry their boats and equipment to prevent the spread of invasive zebra mussels. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll explain why on Texas Ag Today. 
and choosing a concentrate feed for your horse can be a challenge if you need one at all. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that issue coming up next on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Choosing a concentrate feed for your horse can be challenging, but you may not need one at all. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look. Dr. Stephen Dutton indicated at the AAEP convention that a performance horse is one that is regularly given forced exercise and the ration needed depends on the amount of work from light work to very heavy exercise. First of all, it is important to remember that the diet of all horses, and that includes performance horses, should consist of as much forage as possible and then add concentrate feeds as needed. A performance horse needs anywhere from 23 to 34 megacalories of energy per day. And some horses can get all of this from a good quality forage, but they have to eat a large amount of hay or pasture to do this. As exercise increases, it is more likely that concentrates will be required and the forage should be analyzed to determine the amount and type concentrate needed. Realize the addition of concentrate helps to balance the ration, but can also increase the chance of stomach ulcers or colic. Horses with light exercise rarely require any concentrates at all with good hay or pasture and only need a salt supplement. Concentrates for performance horses should have this displayed on the bag and feeds for growth, pregnancy, maintenance, or senior feeds should not be used. A complete senior feed is designed for a horse with poor dentition and contains a lot of fiber and is low in calories which is not good for a performance horse. In general, horses with infrequent light exercise with adequate pasture or hay require about one to two pounds of concentrate per day. Those with frequent light exercise require about three to five pounds per day, all the way up to horses in heavy exercise requiring 12 to 15 pounds per day for a racehorse or a three-day event horse. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas boaters are reminded to clean, drain, and dry their boats and equipment to prevent the spread of invasive zebra mussels. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. Another Texas lake is now infested with invasive zebra mussels. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, Lake Buchanan, which is west of Burnett and north of Inks Lake in the Colorado River Basin, now has an established reproducing population of zebra mussels. The Lower Colorado River Authority discovered zebra mussel larvae and plankton samples taken from three sites on the lake in October. Zebra mussels were found again in November and December. TPWD says the presence of both zebra mussel larvae and adults indicates there is a reproducing population. Monica McGarity, TPWD's senior scientist for aquatic invasive species management, 
said it appears as though the population in the lake is small, but the population is likely to increase rapidly over the next few years. The department is encouraging boat owners and homeowners on Lake Buchanan and Inks Lake to keep an eye out for settled zebra mussels and report any suspected organisms with pictures to the email aquaticinvasives at tpwd.texas.gov. That's aquaticinvasives at tpwd.texas.gov. Zebra mussels are typically an inch to about an inch and a half long with triangular, typically striped brown shells. They strongly adhere to hard surfaces. The invasive species can be found in 31 Texas lakes. To prevent the spread of zebra mussels, boaters are reminded to clean, drain, and dry their boats and gear. Additional details are available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We had a holiday-shortened training week this week, wrapping things up on Thursday because of Christmas on Friday. We'll take a look at how all of the livestock, cotton, grain, and energy markets wrapped up on Thursday coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We wrapped up a holiday-shortened trading week on Thursday with a higher close for both live and feeder cattle futures. December live cattle up 22 cents at 112.15. February up 25, 114.97. April live cattle up 27 at 118.97. Feeder cattle closed higher. January up 65 at 140.92. March feeders up 37, 142.32. April feeder cattle up 7. 143.92. The cash fed cattle market saw a slight jump. We moved $2 higher late in the week to sell live cattle at 110. Dressed sales were at 172 up north. Those live prices two bucks higher than the previous week. The dressed prices four dollars higher. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Quero Livestock Market, Quero, Texas, selling 1,607 head. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.22 to $1.70 a pound. Three to four weights, $1.27 to $1.80. Four to 500 pound steers, $1.26 to $1.66. Five to 600 pounders, $1.21 to $1.58. Six to seven weight steers, $1.08 to $1.26. And the heavy seven to eight weight steers brought $1 a dollar to $1.20 a pound. Slaughter cows brought 15 to 55 cents. Slaughter bulls, 70 to 84 cents. 
Carnes County Livestock Exchange, Kennedy, Texas, sold 639 head. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.50 to $1.85. Three to 400 pounders, $1.41 to $1.85. Four to five weight steers, $1.41 to $1.79. Five to six hundred pounders, a dollar twenty-two to a dollar fifty-one. Six to seven weight steers, a dollar fifteen to a dollar twenty-nine. And the seven to eight hundred pounders brought a dollar three to a dollar seventeen a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty-two to fifty-five cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-seven to eighty cents. Stocker cows, seven ninety to nine ten a head. Cow calf pairs, eight hundred to eight ten a pair. Back over to the futures market now. Lean hogs close lower on Thursday, February down 90 cents, 66.95. The April down 20, 71.10. Class 3 milk was mixed. January milk down 37 cents, 16.63, 100 weight. The cotton market continues to climb. Very good export sales continuing to support this market. We had the weekly export sales report on Wednesday morning. It was the third straight week that sales were over 450,000 bales. That helped support prices. March up 6 points, 76.20. May cotton up 12, 76.86. December 21 cotton up 43 points at 73.70. The wheat market narrowly mixed on Thursday. Hard wheat slightly higher, soft wheat slightly lower. July Kansas City wheat up a penny, 5.93 and a half as we continue to climb towards $6. July Chicago wheat down one and a quarter at 6.15 and three quarters. The corn market put in its 10th day in a row of higher closes. March corn was up three and three quarters, wrapping up the week at 451. September corn up one and a quarter, 430 a bushel. December corn up one and a quarter, 424 and a half. In the energy markets, January natural gas down six cents, 254. February crude oil up 18, 4830 a barrel. The financial markets higher with the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 70 points, 30,199. The NASDAQ up 33 at 12,804. The S&P 500 up 13, 3,703. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to check us out next time. We'll be right here to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.